these Christians at the church can't get along with one another. And when there are disputes, they're not smart enough to figure out what they should do. So they've got to come and bring this out in the open to the court of law. And Paul's saying this is shameful. This is shameful. Isn't there somebody wise enough? And, and even he said, even if you try to work it out and can't, isn't it better that you just take the wrong? Again, in the context of civil disputes, not of, of criminal charges. But he's like, isn't it, wouldn't it be better to just take the wrong rather than, than air your dirty laundry publicly? Rather than seeing the unbelievers look at, 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 at the church and at Christianity and really just give an occasion to mock it? Say, man, wouldn't it be better to just take the wrong? He then goes on, he lists all of these sins and he says, those are characteristics of people that are not part of the kingdom of God. He said, but you're part of the kingdom of God. And he says all of these sins and, and, and he lists them and he says, that's what you were before you were saved, before you were justified, before you were cleansed from those things. And we talked about how that when we come to know Christ and, and become a believer, we're not, God doesn't just affirm us to keep living in sin. He transforms us out of our sin, right? We go a different direction. Not perfectly. Doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. But the, the characteristics here of he's listing all of these, these sins, some sexual, some non-sexual sins, but he lists these sins and he says, that's what you were, but now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you are justified. So now we pick up in verse 12. He says this, all things are lawful unto me, but, but all things are not expedient. That word expedient just means helpful or profitable. So... There's a couple different um, schools of thought here when Paul says all things are lawful. Some think that, that Paul is quoting really just a, a slogan there in Corinth. Because remember Corinth, it was like, hey, anything goes. Anything goes. Just live it up. You know, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Live however you want. And, 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 and so some think he's kind of, you know, really playing along, so to speak, with with what they were saying as far as like, hey, anything goes. And he's going to say, well, well, but, but, but that doesn't mean you should do anything. Others think he's speaking in the sense of like Christian liberty, which would make sense because later on in Corinthians, we're going to see that theme of Paul saying, hey, some things aren't a sin. Some things aren't forbidden scripturally, but it doesn't mean you should do them. Right. And so it seems maybe that's what he's saying here that like, look, there are some things as a Christian you can do like you're not forbidden to do it. It's lawful, but it doesn't mean that it's helpful. It doesn't mean that it's something that's profitable to do. And he says, look, all things are lawful, but but all things are not expedient. Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are profitable. And, and that, that's a really a good question to ask ourselves, right? Like, okay, just because I can do something doesn't necessarily mean I should do it. I mean, is it, is it profitable to do? In fact, in the book of Romans, so this is a book written much later, and it's written to a different audience, but it's written by the same author. It's written by Paul. And in Romans 14, Paul deals with that specifically about how that there were some Christians, they were fighting, they weren't getting along over things that, that weren't necessarily like sinful or not sinful. 
it was just they were arguing over the, the priority of certain days and the, and the significance of those days and about eating meat that was offered to idols. Some Christians they said there's no way a Christian could eat of meat that was offered in idol worship. And others were saying, well, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, God's redeemed all of these things. Why, why is there anything wrong? And Paul's saying, look, they're not sinful things, but he says, you need to ask yourself, should you do these things? You know, we're going to give an account to God one day, he points out. And then he also points out, there's some things that aren't forbidden for us to do, but they could be a stumbling block to someone else. They could be a stumbling block to another believer. It could be something that it's not a sin to do, but it's something that could not be helpful to you and it could not be helpful or profitable to someone else. In fact, it could cause someone else to stumble or someone to be offended or it could cause someone to be tempted to sin. So we need to ask ourselves, right? Like, okay, when we're making decisions as believers, it's not just is it right or wrong. Now, that, that is a good question to ask, but, but we need to go further than that. Is it something that's helpful? Is it something that's profitable to us and to others? And if it's not something that's helpful, if it's not something that's profitable, then maybe we shouldn't do it. So he says, look, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient or helpful or beneficial. All things are lawful for me. So he's saying it again, but I will not be under the power of any. So, so we need to ask ourselves, is it profitable? Is it helpful? And then next, is it something that could be addicting or enslaving? Because he says, I'm not going to be brought under the power of any. There's some things that might not be a sin, but it could be something that could become an addiction or it could be something that could eventually become an idol in our life where it becomes a sin because it's something that enslaves us or something that we can become addicted to. And we need to ask ourselves, is this something that could be addicting or enslaving? And then next we need to ask ourselves, is it something that has eternal value? Does it have eternal value? Because he says, verse 13, meats for the belly, the belly for meats, but God's going to destroy both. So there was this, this, another slogan in Corinth. They said, well, hey, the meat or the, the, the stomach is made to eat and, or the stomach's made for meat and meat's made to, to, you know, for the stomach, just, you know, enjoy it. And, and he's saying, well, there's some aspects that, of things that we're doing that they're not going to have any eternal meaning or value. So you're not saying that you shouldn't eat, like our physical body needs food to eat, to, to survive, right? But, but there's some things in life that we can spend a lot of time and energy and effort and resources, and here's the thing, they're meaningless. They're just dumb stuff. They're pointless. Doesn't mean you can't have hobbies and just have some things that you can like break away and, and, and decom decompress and, and, and they can help you maybe as a stress reliever, like doesn't mean that there, you can't enjoy hobbies and things, but things that have no eternal value, are those the things that we want to have as like the biggest thing and the biggest priority in our life? Paul saying, look, there's some things, they're not helpful. Some things, they can become enslaving or addicting. And some things, they just have no eternal value whatsoever. So he says, Meats for the belly, the belly for meat. But look, God's going to destroy that. It's, it's temporal. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord 
and the Lord for the body. So remember that word fornication, we talked about it last week. It really is referencing any sexual sin. So, so what was happening was this, right? In the Corinthian culture, they were saying, well, you know, the meat or meat is for the belly and the belly's for meat. And then they were making this jump saying, and yeah, you know, the body's for, for fornication. In other words, they're like, hey, God gave me this body. I'm going to enjoy everything and all the pleasures that are out there because it just is, it just makes sense, right? Like, that's why God gave me this body to enjoy all of these things. And Paul says, actually, no, that's not what, not what you should use your body for. It's not for fornication. It's not for sexual sin. It is because it's the Lord's. In fact, we're going to look at it. He closes out the chapter saying that, that our body is God's and it's to bring glory to him. That's the purpose of our body. And so the Corinthians, again, they were just making this jump of, well, just like, you know, you got to have food. Like your body just needs to satisfy all of, of these, these sexual desires. And he's saying, actually, that's not what your body's for. It's for the glory of God. Now, in chapter 7, which we'll look at eventually, Paul's not forbidding all sexual activity. In fact, he says within the context of marriage, don't withhold, right? Like, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. But he's saying outside of God's boundaries, we need to run away from it. Outside of God's boundaries, it's destructive. Outside of God's boundaries, that's not why God gave us this body. It's to bring glory to him. So the, the Corinthians were, were, again, this is a slogan. Well, the meat for belly, the belly for meat. Paul's saying, well, it has no eternal value in, in some things. Again, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy some things. And as far as things that aren't sinful, right? Eating, um, we need to, to survive. There's certain things that aren't wrong, but he says it doesn't mean that there's eternal value. And then he's saying, don't make this jump of then something that is sinful, saying that, well, you know, God just created that. No, God, God created the fulfillment of those desires within his boundaries, within marriage. It's like, don't step outside of those boundaries. Let's keep reading. He says, look, God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. So he's saying that there's implications that what we do in this body, it matters in eternity. I'm not saying that we're achieving our salvation by what we do, but it's saying that like there's eternal implications that what we do in this body, we're, we're told that we're going to give an account to God one day for what we do in this body. And he's saying, so don't have the attitude that, you know, it's just, hey, I have one life and I'm just going to live it up. No, he says, this body is one day going to be raised up. God's going to raise up this body. And, and this isn't in contradiction to what we're going to look at in chapter 15, because Paul's going to point out that this body is temporal in the sense of how it is now. But it's eternal in the sense that though this body will be placed in the ground one day, that for, for, well, for both believers and non-believers, there's going to be a final resurrection but for believers, that resurrection means that we're going to have a glorified body. It's going to be this body, but it's going to be without the imperfections, without the effects of sin. 
It's going to be a glorified body that's powerful, that doesn't get sick, that doesn't sin, that doesn't decay. And Paul's saying, look, that, that what you do in this body, it actually matters a great deal. What you put into your body, what you do with your body, saying it should be all about the glory of God. This body's going to be resurrected. And what a powerful, powerful truth that that is. And it should be a sobering truth to us. It's like, look, God raised up the Lord, just like Jesus rose from the dead. And in, in Corinthians 15, as we get there in a few months, probably after Christmas, we'll get to chapter 15. Like, really, probably after Christmas is when we'll get there. But he's saying, look, that, that just be, or because Christ, Jesus, because he raised from the dead, is like he's the first fruits. In other words, that's the picture of that our bodies will also be raised from the dead. What we do with them, it matters, is what, what he's saying. So we see, first of all, the question about, you know, doing something or not. Is it helpful or profitable? Is it addicting or enslaving? Is it something that has eternal value, right? Those are questions we should ask ourselves. Not just, can I? It's, well, should I? Or should I? And I'm not saying we like go overboard with that in the sense of like become like the Pharisees who made up all of these, these crazy man-made laws that weren't founded scripture and like tried to, you know, make everybody, everybody else do them. That's not the context. It's, it's personal liberty, right? Where we need to ask ourselves, not try to put demands on others that aren't in scripture, but we ask ourselves these questions just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should. Let's keep reading. He says, Know ye not that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Does God forbid? And then he says in verse 16, Don't you know? He's like, what, what know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So here's Here's what's going on. Now, look, this is a little bit just bold and blunt, but this is what was happening. The believers in Corinth, that some of them were going to the temple and they were hooking up with prostitutes there at the temple and saying like, well, hey, God gave me a body. God gave me these desires. I guess it's okay. This is what it was made for. And Paul says, actually, no. That's not what God intended for you to do with your body. And he's saying it's far more. It's far more than just a physical experience. Saying it has eternal implications. Eternal implications. And he's saying because of that, verse 18, run away from fornication. He says flee fornication. Run away from sexual sin. Because every sin that man does, it, does is without the body, except when it comes to fornication, when it comes to sexual sin. It says you're sinning against your own body. This body that God will raise up one day for all of eternity. He's saying because of that, run away from sexual sin. Run away from it. And you know what so often what we do with really any kind of sin we run to it and we think, well, I'm just going to run like close to it, but I'm not actually going to do anything bad. But Paul's saying, no, actually the opposite. 
You need to run away from it. Run away from it. So like, man, there's a lot of applications we can take from that. Of staying away from things that are going to tempt us. And people that are going to tempt us. And, and I don't know what that looks like, you know, in your context. Maybe it's different than the person next to you as far as what guardrails or what things that you're going to do. But, but man, he says, run away from it. Maybe there's certain people that you need to stay away from. Maybe there's people at work that are, that are always causing you to stumble. Or, or maybe there's a, a relationship at work where it's someone that's not your spouse that's, that's flirting with you. And, and you're finding this, this temptation and this drawing. And, 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 and I think what Paul would say is really the same thing Jesus said when it came to sexual sin. Get radical about it. Jesus said, if your eye is causing you to offend, pluck it out. Now, that's not literal, okay? It's metaphorical. But the point is, be radical in dealing with sin. Be radical with running away from sexual sin. Why? Because there's eternal implications with what we do in this body. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that we lose our salvation. But I am suggesting that for a believer, for a believer that when we sin in this way, it's the exact opposite of bringing glory to God with our body. It's bringing dishonor to him. So Paul's saying, look, run away from it. And again, keep in mind this mentality. These were believers that were engaging in the sexual sin thinking, well, not a big deal. After all, God created this. And Paul says, no, that's not why God created you. That's not why God gave you this body. It's not to just indulge in every sinful desire out there. It's actually to glorify God. It's to glorify God. And by the way, like, let me just say this. Like, when we do glorify God, when we do follow him and follow his way, you know what we'll find? Not misery. We'll find the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction. You know, like I said, this next chapter in chapter 7, Paul's actually saying in the context of marriage, enjoy one another. But do it in God's boundaries. Do it God's way. Do it God's way where there's meaning, where there's true love and commitment and, and safety. Do it that way. He says, but run away. Run away from outside of God's boundaries when it comes to intimacy. Verse number 19, he says, what? So he keeps saying this. Don't you know? He's like, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, he says, which are God's. Which are God's. So what do we need to know about this body? Let me just give you four things and then we're concluded. All right, number one, we see this. When it comes to our body, know this. Know that the purpose of our body is to glorify God. That's our purpose. It's to bring glory to God. It's not to just fulfill all our sinful desires and urges. Right? And so here's the thing. Here's where we come to another major clash of worldviews. Because culture says, well, no, the purpose of your life, the purpose of this body is to be happy 
and experience the most happiness in doing what you want to do here in this life. And as a believer, we say, actually, no, that's not our purpose. Our purpose isn't to just live a life and be happy. Our purpose is to glorify God. But again, I would make the argument that when we truly get that, as a believer, when we truly understand our purpose is for the glory of God, that we're to live for His glory, you know what? We'll find the most joy and the most satisfaction when we find and understand our purpose is for the glory of God. But as a believer, that is our purpose. Not just for our happiness, not to just satisfy what we want to do here and now. It's actually for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. So our purpose is to glorify God. Secondly, our body will be resurrected for all of eternity. This body will be resurrected for all of eternity. That like what we do in this life, it, it actually matters. It actually matters. We're told that we're going to give an account for what we do in this body. We're going to give an account before God. I don't know all of the implications for that. We've talked about this, and some of it is because, we, you know, we, we, we have a certain amount of information, and that's what God gave us, and so we, you know, some of it's guesswork as far as exactly what that looks like. But that should be a sobering reminder. I don't think this means that we answer for every sin we've ever done, right? That sin has been forgiven by the blood of Christ. But, but man, when we read things about we're going to give an account, when we read even Jesus' words about giving an account for idle words that we speak, and, and again, I don't know the exact picture of what that looks like, but it should be sobering for us as believers to recognize that, Man, this body's going to be resurrected. Now, it's not going to be like this body. Amen? Like, we're not going to get sick. We're, we're not going to have the, what we think are flaws and blemishes. And we're, we're not going to get tired. And we're not going to have pain and suffering. And, and we're not going to die. Right? Because Paul says, like, this, this body, the temporal aspects of it are going to be raised. And it's going to be eternal. But still, it's this body. What we do in this body matters. This body's going to be resurrected for all of eternity. So he's telling the Corinthians, look, you think that what you're doing just doesn't really matter. And that, well, you know, it's just, you know, one life and just get all the, uh, live for all the pleasure here and now. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Doesn't matter. He says, actually, it, it does matter. It matters a great deal. This body's going to be resurrected is, is what he's telling them. So our purpose is to glorify God. Secondly, this body's going to be resurrected for all of eternity. Thirdly, this body is God's temple. Verse 19, he says, don't you know? What? Know ye not? That your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You're not your own. So he's saying, look, that our body is, is God's temple. So in the Old Testament, in the temple, they would go and, and the priests would go and they would into a place called the Holy of Holies where they would commune and speak to God and God would speak to them. But as believers, now we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. When we trust Christ, 
when we by faith turn to Christ, what happens is God takes a dead sinner and he raises us to new life. And that's why, look, before someone knows Christ, and, and just so you know, I said this last week, let me say this again. If you're here and you're not a believer, this message is not saying, hey, you better stop all of this sin, this sin, this sin. You will never stop that sin because you are a slave to that sin. You're going to continue to follow your nature. You're going to continue to follow those desires. And that's why we don't just need to turn over a new leaf. We don't need to just do some religious things. We don't need just a better life and add Jesus to it. We need new life that's found in Christ. Amen. We need to turn to faith in Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit of God raises up a dead sinner to new life. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit of God indwells us. And that's how when we read about things like in Galatians and Ephesians about the fruit of the Spirit, that what the Spirit of God produces in the believer are things like love and joy and peace and patience, things like temperance and self-control. Those are things that the Spirit of God, now again, it's not immediate and it doesn't mean we don't struggle sometimes with those things, but it means that the Spirit of God is, is producing those things in us. Those are evidences that God has saved us and redeemed us because there's a change in our life. And he's producing those things in us. Our body is God's temple. It's God's dwelling place. So we're saying, like, the things you're doing, you're putting in your body and doing with your body. He's like, don't you know? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why we see places where we can grieve the Holy Spirit as a believer. We can grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. In other words, stop him from working in ways that he wants to. And that, again, that, that's not meaning that, that you know, God loses his power or that God can't override you know, what we want. Like, I'm not saying any of that. But again, you have to see those passages and look at them as warning passages for us as believers. We can still live in a way that's not pleasing to him and not pleasing to the Holy Spirit. But we're a temple. We're the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. But Paul's pointing out to the, the people that were just treating sin flippantly. Pointing out to the people that were, were literally engaging in sexual sin and trying to justify it. He's saying, don't you know, like, that's not what God made your body for. The Spirit of God is dwelling in you. You're his temple. And then lastly, we see this. Our body has been purchased by God. He says, you are bought with a price. And because of that, and the word is redeemed, right? To be bought back. That, that Christ has saved us and he saved us by his blood. By coming and living the righteous life, we couldn't by dying on the cross, a horrible death. And it is his blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, the only innocent one, the only sinless one, the spotless lamb of God. It is his blood that purchased us. And he's saying, look, you've been purchased. It cost Christ his life and his blood and suffering and pain. The God that created you entered his own creation in the second person of the Trinity that God the Son Jesus came to this earth. He lived the righteous life we couldn't. He died for our sins, the most horrific way to die. And he says, it's with that blood, you've been purchased. 
You've been bought with a price. And he said, because of that truth, what should our attitude be? It should be that we want to glorify God in our body and our spirit because they're his. That this body is made, this body is made and been purchased, been redeemed to bring glory to God. And I think, man, if we, if, if we really like understand that and live this out, man, it, it, it's going to change decisions we make, right? It should. It should change how we live. We shouldn't have the attitude of like, this body's mine, I can do whatever I want. Well, you know, again, like, yeah, if you're a believer, it's not like you're going to lose your salvation. But a true believer, do they really have this mentality of, oh, I can live however I want? Paul's saying, what is that? Don't you know? Don't you know you have been bought with a price? You've been redeemed. You've been purchased. Your life isn't about you and what you want. It, your, your, your body, God didn't give it to you to just fulfill every desire out there because there's some desires that are sinful. He's like, look, your body, your purpose is to, to glorify God. To glorify God. And again, as believers, this is why we need this different, a different worldview than the culture around us. Are the things that we're doing glorifying God? Like, right, that, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Is what we're doing truly bringing glory to God? Or are there things in our life? Well, sin doesn't bring glory to God. But what about even outside of that? Are there certain things that we're engaging in? Or certain things that maybe they're not wrong or sinful in and of themselves, but it's just become maybe an idol in our life and it's distracted us. It's something that's maybe um, enslaved us. And it's not bringing glory to God. Paul's saying, remember... You're bought with a price. Glorify God. Why? Because your body and spirit, they're his. They're his.